0: the power to change it. I really believe that's the case this morning, and especially as we're going to talk about something that's below this, um, below this cover. You, ever, you, you wonder when you come into church, you see something covered up, you wonder, what's under the cover? Well, I've got to tell you something before I take this cover off, that what's under here has a big part of most of our lives, or it's a big part, plays a big role in a lot of our lives. Chances are, the moment I take this cover off, you're going to look at that and you're going to say, hey, I know about that. Are you ready? Here we go. Oh, yeah. If You're gonna sum up the contents that cover this table. You'd probably do it in two words. What is this? Yes, junk food. Oh, we love junk food. Junk food is a big part of Americans' diet. One survey reveals that um, somewhere close to 33 percent of, of the calories that Americans consume comes from junk food. And one survey indicates that Americans, uh, 50% of Americans' diet comes from junk food. I was surprised to discover that there's one item on this table, or at least it represents a particular part of, our, of what we consume. There's one item on this table that is 7% of the caloric intake of Americans. What do you think it might be? Yeah, you're right. I heard that. Soft drinks supply 7% of the caloric intake of Americans. There was a man who attended our early service who was listening to a missionary speak last week, and she shared that Americans spend more on soda pop than the gross national product. I think it was of Cambodia. It was one of the, one of the Asian countries. But it, it's amazing how much of a part of our diet as Americans junk food is. And what's the result? I think we all know it's killing us. It's not good for us. Sixty-five percent of Americans are overweight, thirty-one percent of us are obese, and we know that along with being overweight and obesity come such diseases as diabetes, heart disease, and we're informed now that even certain types of cancer. And it's even interesting to watch what is happening culturally with third-world countries where American junk food is making an entrance. There are problems with obesity and disease that were never found in those cultures before. I read one researcher who said, quote, If you take a perfectly healthy community that has never known Western food and introduce breads, pastries, sweets, hamburgers, and other processed foods, they will be stricken with our modern diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, in a single generation. I can't vouch for that, but I do know that there are many in the nutrition world who feel that way. And it's no secret, the junk that the average American is putting in his mouth is slowly killing him. That is why the National Institute of Health spends a half billion dollars of your tax money every year just studying the effects of obesity. There is a big connection between your health, how you feel, and what you eat. No surprise. You don't need to get up on a very cold, frigid January morning and go to church to hear a pastor stand in the pulpit and tell you that there's a connection between poor health and the food that we put in our mouths. You know there's a connection. How many of us know, even those of us who don't plan to do anything about it, how many of us know that until we stop eating the junk food that we put in our mouths, we're not going to get any better? I mean, beyond that, how many of us know that until we make a connection between the Big Mac and the cruddy way we feel, we're not going to be able to get any help. I mean, how many of us understand that until we can think about, you know, these Oreos. Boy, I'm, pre- I'm meddling now. Amen. This is getting serious. You know, isn't it strange? I mean, we're a strange culture. I mean, we know this junk food is killing us, and, and yet we, we, we want to get nutritional. So what do we do? We put nutritional information on the back of Oreos. I mean, after all, what what kind of nutrition could we expect in Oreos? But there, you know, you have it. It's got 30 trillion grams of fat and all that kind of stuff, but it's there. Now, see, until we can make a connection between this, what we put in our mouths, and how we feel, we're not going to get any better. Now, I think you understand very clearly that I didn't come here today to talk to you about food and junk food. Because see, I believe there's something out there in our culture today that's a lot more threatening to us than the junk food that we put into our bodies. And by the way, don't let me let you off too easily. Our bodies are the temple of God, Scripture tells us, and we ought to be careful about what we do nutritionally. But I really believe there's an influence in our world today that's a lot worse than the junk food that we put into our bodies. How many of you have read any of those books called Chicken Soup for the Soul? I mean, it's like those things multiply like rabbits. I go to an airport, and there's chicken soup for everything, you know? But, I mean, that's a great title. Never read any of the books, but I've always admired the title, Chicken Soup for the Soul. How many of you understand that there is such a thing as junk food for the soul? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Our series is Extreme Makeover. And really, it's a study of the New Testament book of Philippians. And if Philippians teaches us anything… It teaches us that just as there is a connection between eating the wrong kind of food and feeling bad, there is a situation in life in which you can take junk food into your spirit, into your mind, and it will have a detrimental effect on your emotions. There is a connection between your thinking and your emotional health. If you read the book of Philippians, and I hope that you have, I hope that you will as we go through this series, you'll discover that Philippians is about two things above anything else. It's about joy, and it's about thinking. Throughout the book of Philippians, you'll read about rejoicing in the Lord and having joy and being content and being at peace. That theme absolutely permeates the book of Philippians. But it also talks a lot about the way we think. This is the fourth sermon in this series. In the first sermon, what do we discuss? We 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 were in chapter 1 where Paul was saying we need to learn to think about the things that are really important. In the second sermon, it was WWJT, what would Jesus think? Philippians encourages us to have the attitude or the thinking that Christ had. Last week, we talked about cleaning out the closet. Paul said, I used to think that these things were also important, but now I don't think they're important anymore, and now I'm thinking about important stuff. So you can see the theme throughout the book. It's emotional well-being and thinking. Emotional well-being and thinking. There's a connection between our thinking and our emotional health, and we need to understand that. In other words, here's what we we need to take away from this. If I have junky thinking, I'm going to have junky emotions. A lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people have junky emotions, and they think "It's, it's because of the people I work with. It's because of the jerk I'm married to. It's because of my kids it's because of my in-laws, it's because of my bad job situation, I didn't get a good education. But that's not what the Bible is teaching us. The Bible is teaching us that if we have junky thinking, we're going to have junky emotions. Frankly, I'm convinced that America's emotional sickness is a greater problem than our physical sickness. In other words, junk food for the soul, the junk food that's getting into our heads, is even worse than the junk food that's getting into our bodies. I wonder... I wonder if we really understand that. Now today we're going to learn to make a connection and uh, what, what we're going to discover, as I said a moment ago, is just as this Big Mac has a connection with feeling bad, what we're going to learn is that bad kinds of thinking, uh, self-pity, anger, lust, these kinds of things have a detrimental effect on our emotional well-being. Now let's start with this one because a lot of people could say, Mark hey, I'm a Christian. I don't have to worry about that. I'm a member of Messiah Baptist Church. Let's start with this this morning. Even Christians can be tempted with emotional junk food. We're in chapter 4 of the book of Philippians, and we're going to discover how it starts here in verse 2. Paul said, and now I want to plead with those two women, Euodia and Syntyche. Aren't you glad your mother didn't name you that? I was listening to a country preacher preach when I was a teenager, and he called them odious and stinky. He's, so I said, I want odious and stinky to straighten out, but it, it's not what it is. It's Euria and Syntyche. I want, I want you to plead with these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Wow. There are two women in the church. They were having conflict with each other, and it wasn't just a little private thing where they were calling each other on the phone or maybe even not speaking to each other in church. It became such a public thing that the whole church knew about it. And it was well-known enough that Paul felt comfortable writing it in a public letter that would be read before the entire church. So who were these two women, this Euodia and Syntyche? Who were they? Were they problem church members? I guess just about every church has a few problems. Was that what these two ladies were? Were they just nuts? Were they, were they difficult people? Who were Iodia and Syntyche? Now look in verse 2, and we'll discover one more time. Actually, let's, let's look at verse 3. He said, I ask you, my true teammate, probably the pastor he's referring to or leader in the church, I ask you, my true teammate, to help these women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news, and they worked with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. And oh, these weren't problem people. The audience, Syntyche, were effective in their work of evangelism. They had assisted Paul. They had worked with Clement. They had worked with the entire leadership team. At one time, they had been very effective. But now some junky thinking had gotten into their heads, and it had brought about a conflict that was affecting the church in a detrimental fashion. Now, Paul appeals to the leader of the church, I think the pastor, and he said, help them. How do you help people like Eurya and Syntyche? How do you help people like that? I mean, most of us want to stay out of it when you get two people that are in conflict with each other. Well, it, you're not going to help them by leading them to Christ because they're already saved. You can't say get involved in the church because they're already involved in the church. What? this leader in the church needed to help Yodia and Sintiqa do is to refocus their thinking. And you'll drop down to verse 8, and you'll discover that's what the whole context of this chapter is about. It's about thinking. And so now as we go into verse 8, what I'm going to say to you who are listening to me today is that some of you who are very unhappy and you're having emotional difficulty, there is huge help for you in the verses that we're going to look for, we look at in a few moments. How many of you would like to be a happy, contagious person? You would like to be the kind of person that is so well uh, well emotionally that others will be glad to see you coming. That's what we're going to look at today in Philippians chapter 4 verses 8 and 9, a makeover for your emotions, a makeover for your emotions. Find verse 8 of chapter 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Within those verses are the components of of an emotional makeover. Some of you today, if you're not emotionally well, you could go a long way toward getting healthy just by understanding what these verses say to us. Let's take several steps here in this process. Number one, step one is recognize we choose what we think about. We choose what we think about. That's a revelation to many people because a lot of people have the idea that our thoughts, we just think about things we have to think about because of what happens in our lives. But Paul is teaching us here that we choose what we think about. He says, fix your thoughts or fasten your thoughts on what is good. Now, uh, I'm not picking on McDonald's today. They get picked on enough. But, you know, think about what's in a Big Mac, And I, you know, when you start reading nutritional information, there's more fat in a Big Mac than you ought to eat in a whole day. And beyond that, it's not good fat. And when we think about what fat is doing to us and how it's killing us slowly, you would think that the only way anybody could get us to eat a Big Mac, it would be some villain would have to hold us down, tie us down, and force it into our mouths, right? When you think about what this junk does to us, you know, these Oreo cookies. I mean, it's like slow poison. You would think that the only way anybody could get us to eat this stuff is for somebody to hold us down and force it into our mouths. But that's not what happens, is it? First of all, we drive to McDonald's, right? I do. I mean, that's a long drive from where I live to get to a McDonald's. And then we, we you know, we, we have our car in line. We wait for our turn to come up and order at the little box And then when we get to the window, it's not ready yet, and they say, you're going to have to pull over there and wait for us to bring it out to you. I mean, think about all the trouble we go through to put something in our mouth that's killing us. You know, there are a lot of us today, we have the idea that we think what we think because circumstances demand that we think this way. What we have to understand is that just as nobody is forcing us to consume junk food, nobody's forcing us to think about thoughts that are hurting us spiritually and emotionally. See, many people are unhappy because they don't think they have any choice but to think about bad things. Life makes me feel bitter, so I have to be bitter. Life gave her more than it gave me, so I have to have jealous thoughts. Somebody treated me dirty, so I have to distrust everybody in my life. Something made me angry, so I have a right to feel angry all the time. I have to feel angry. Pornography is everywhere. Who can avoid it? I have to think about it. What we must realize today is that none of us are held hostage to thinking thoughts that are detrimental to our emotional health. None of us have to think thoughts that are bitter. None of us have to think thoughts that are angry or unhappy. That means if my emotional health is anything but a a state of peace, my first step is to take responsibility for where I'm at. And that's where Paul wants to get us today. He wants us to learn to identify healthy thinking. Take your Bibles one more time and look at verse 8. Paul writes, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now right now, Paul begins to give us a criteria or a list of criteria to help us understand the kinds of thoughts that are healthy and the kinds of thoughts that are unhealthy. The first thing he suggests to us is that we need to think about things that are true. The Greek word there for that just simply means the opposite of that which is false. Every one of us needs to stop for a moment and think about the voices that come into our head, whether it's from our friends or from television, from our peers, uh, from, from wh- whatever we draw information from. And we have to ask ourselves the question, is what I'm listening to true? Is it completely true? Is it the a- opposite of what is false? if we listen to stuff that is even partially false, it will have a negative effect on our emotions. How do we test what is true in our lives? By God's Word. By God's Word. You say, I know it's true because I saw it on television. That's not a good test. You say, Pastor, I know it's true because I heard it on Fox. That's still not a test. You say, Preacher, I know it's true because my mother told me that. That's not a test. You say, Preacher, I know it's true because I've always been taught that. Write it off. Check it out with God's Word. Does it match up with God's Word? If it does, think on things like that. And beyond that, you know what? We have to be careful about what we listen to because people tell us things all the time. Some of you are in a work environment where there's all kinds of gossip going on about the people who work where you work. How do you know if that stuff is true or not? The Bible says, fix your minds. Choose to think about that which is true. Number two, the Bible tells us we ought to fix our minds on the things that are honorable, those things that are noble. You know, I know in my life, one of the challenges I have is to determine to select out those things that are noble, those things that lift me up instead of the things that drag me down. we got a bunch of junk food up here on the table this morning, but many of you, when you leave the service, you're going to go to a buffet line. You'll go to a restaurant that has a buffet. You know, it's a challenge when you're in a buffet line to choose between the foods that are good for you and the foods that are not good for you. You know what it's like to stand there with your plate and say, well, I think I could eat some of this, but man, I better not eat that. That that does something to me. And to go through that buffet line and pull out the things that are healthy. We got to do the same thing with our thinking. And that means we got to be careful about who we listen to and what we listen to and what we think about. For instance, this thing of honorable, when I read this and prepared for the message, I thought about it, an experience that I've had this year. For years, I've sat on the board of a Christian organization, a very successful organization. It's had great leadership. And the leader is a personal friend of mine, a great guy, great leader. His leadership style is a little bit detached, but nobody ever criticized him because he was so extremely successful and such a great man of God. But as he was stepping down, there was a little bit of a power struggle for who was going to take his place. And in the meantime, for the first time, other board members that I'd sat with began to criticize this man who had been our leader for so long. I couldn't understand that. And these were guys whose churches I'd preached in. They were friends of mine, but they would come and tell me. And you know what? I had to say to them, I don't want to think about that. First off, I know it's not true. And beyond that, I don't want to think about that every time I see that leader. I don't want to have to look at him through the haze of all this junk that you're trying to give me. See, you and I choose to think about what we, what we wish to think about. And the Bible says we, we need to think about those things that are true and those things that are honorable that lead us to nobility. And then number three, those things that are right. Right here means fair. What's a challenge here is, you know what, when we feel like we've been mistreated, somebody comes along and wants to stroke us and say, there now, you know, you poor thing. Oh, you're going through such horrible things. It's a challenge at that point to be able to back away and say, okay, what's fair here? What is what is even-handed, what is the right thing here, what is fair. Then the Bible says we are to choose to think about those things which are lovely, and I could preach a whole sermon right here, because I am convinced, and I'm troubled, and I've shared this with some of you in the congregation here, my friends. I am concerned that in America today, beauty is being forced out of our culture. If you think about the humor, even in kids' movies a lot of times, a lot of the kids' humor is earthy and bathroom humor. We have lost our beauty of language. We've lost our beauty of, uh, in, in music and melody. We're losing our beauty in public life. We're being forced thoughts that are cruddy and, and, and wrong and dirty. The Bible says think about those things that are lovely. And next, the Bible tells us to focus on the things that are admirable. When you admire a quality in someone or you admire something in the Word of God, that's what the Bible is talking about, those things that you admire. And then next we are to think about those things which are excellent. Many Christians, I know, they try to walk a tightrope. You know, they, they want to just stay just inside the Christian world, but they want to get just as close as they can to the, to the sinful culture as they can. Remember this, in all, all your thinking, you can choose between good and better and best. And the Bible is telling us here to choose those things which are excellent. And then finally, Paul puts a catch-all phrase down there at the end, just to sum it all up. He said, anything that's worthy of praise, in other words, if there's anything good in the thought, think about those things. Choose to think about those things that are beautiful and good and excellent and right. Now, somebody could say, okay, Mark, make it practical. You've got me thinking about this. Help me know how to have a makeover for my emotions. Help me to know how to begin thinking the right way. Let me give you three thoughts that are the key to healthy thinking, and I'll be through with this sermon. The first one is the obvious one, and that is exposure. You're going to think about what you expose your mind to. How many of you have watched something on television? You go to sleep at night and dream about something. That's similar, or at least connected to what you just watched on television. What happens is you just exposed yourself to a set of thoughts, and now those thoughts are in your head, and they come back, and they have a bearing on how you think. That's the obvious thing. It's going to happen in your life and my life all the time. What we expose ourselves to, that's what we're going to think about. Think about the list the Bible just gave us. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, worthy of praise. How many of us have figured out we were already going to have a problem with television, right? Because it's tough to find stuff on television that fits that. See, we have to choose what we expose our minds to. Many of us have read the sociological comments about what our kids are exposed to, how many murders and rapes and assaults and thefts that they're exposed to from watching television before they ever go to the first grade. And Scripture is telling us here we must be careful what we expose our minds to. If I feed my mind on promiscuity, murder, rape, adultery, lying, cheating, I'm going to have a problem. I'm going to have a problem with my thinking. And it's not just… You know, one thing I want to be careful about here today, there are a lot of people, when you hear the sermon, the pastor's going to talk about bad thinking, immediately people have the idea, the pastor's going to talk about thinking dirty and versus thinking clean. Certainly, we need to be careful about our thinking in the sexual area. But it's much bigger than that, much broader than that. You know, we need to be careful about listening to negative messages and painful messages and, and, and things that really there's no help in listening to. Somebody could say, well, Pastor Hoover, you know what? I don't know why. People just feel comfortable coming to just dump on me and tell me all the stuff that, that's bad in their lives and negative. It's a good thing to be a listening ear. But I got to tell you something. If all of a sudden everybody in my neighborhood started dumping their garbage on my front lawn, I'm going to wake up one day and say, my front lawn's sending out the wrong signal. Amen? And I'll just tell you this there are a lot of people that don't want any help. All they want to do is rehearse and rehearse and rehearse every pain. They want to wallow in self-pity. Listen, i got to tell you something. we got to be husbands and wives and parents and kids, and we got to be support for our friends and loved ones. We've got to be followers of Jesus Christ. We can't afford to soak in painful, unhappy, negative, low-spirited messages all of our, all of our day. And I'm going to, oh, I just know I'm going to get a, probably a letter or two on this one, but I love you enough I want to tell you the truth. Listen, there are things you can listen to that are, that are basically factual, but they're so negative that you can begin to wallow in it after a while, and it will affect your relationship, it'll affect your emotional health, and make you a very negative person. You know, many of, you, many of our, our people listen to talk radio all day long. And you know, on talk radio, somebody's always unhappy. They're unhappy with the president. They're unhappy with the Congress. They're unhappy with the Democrats. They're unhappy with the Republicans. They're unhappy with the liberals. They make a living out of being unhappy. That's how they stay on the radio every day. Do you think anybody could be on talk radio talking about good things all afternoon? No, no, no. People, they appeal to us based on our paranoia. And you say, oh, but Mark, this guy's Right? This guy's right. Man, we got to be careful about this organization. Listen, I want to tell you something. Our trust is in the Lord our God. We're not going to solve everything. Listen, you could elect all the people you think you want to elect, and praise God, we ought to be good stewards of our electoral process, but you could put the Democrats in, you could put the Republicans all in, and it's still not going to make any difference until we understand that the key is in living by faith and walking in the Word of God and trusting God on a daily basis. Now, I'm not against listening to talk radio. Please don't go off and say, Pastor said we shouldn't listen to talk radio. I'll listen to some of it too. All I'm saying is, if that's all you take in of negative unhappy, painful messages, it's going to have a bearing on your emotional health. And when it happens, don't blame your in-laws, don't blame your wife, don't blame your husband, don't blame your bad job. You have to look no further than yourself and you say, you know what, I've exposed myself to unhappy, miserable, low thinking, and now it's affected my emotions. All right, let's, give, let's take the first one, exposure. And now let's move to the second one, repetition, repetition. Now, you know, I, I've got a few issues in my own health. I've got a marginally high blood pressure, and, and truth be told, I've eaten a lot of junk food in my life. I didn't get to where I am today because I ate one Big Mac, right? I'm where I am today because I've eaten many Big Macs. Conversely, I can't go to the health food store and say, you know what, I want to be healthy. I'm going to get some stuff from the health food store and go home and have one salad. I'm going to be healthy. Would that work? No. Because see, here's the thing, if you want to have a healthy lifestyle, it involves exposure to the right things and repetition of good habits. It's the same way with your thinking. If you want to be emotionally healthy, you've got to think about the right things, you've got to expose yourself to the right messages, but then you have to repeat that all the time. You could leave here today and say, Pastor's talking about thinking about good things, I know he's talking about reading my Bible, so I'm going to go home and read my Bible today, read one chapter, and I'm going to be healthy. No, no, it's an everyday thing. Expose yourself to those things that are good and right and honorable, and then repetition, repeat those things. The third word I'm going to use is not a real word, but it's a word that I use a lot. It's the word stick-to-itiveness. It, it means that, that we have to have an aggressiveness about doing the right thing. I believe there are a lot of Christians who hear a sermon, you walk out and you say, well, I think the pastor was probably right, or I like what, 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 what was said today. That's pretty good. Now I'm going to go to the restaurant and forget about it. No, no, no. If you're going to grow here emotionally, you have to take this and become aggressive about your thought life. It means you must take charge of what goes into your mind. Just as you would have to take charge of what goes into your body to be healthier, you have to take charge of what goes into your mind. And we need to be careful about doing it quickly. In this same chapter in verse 4, the Bible says, always be full of the joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord It's coming soon. You know, I want to be healthy emotionally when Jesus comes. You see, as we get closer to the coming of the Lord, the world's going to become a bigger mess. And it's so important for us to be emotionally healthy in these last days. How do we get there? We get there by thinking the right things. Garbage in, garbage out. Right thing in, emotionally healthy. May God help us as we consider this message. Would you just bow your heads for a moment, please, as the musicians are coming?